Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And that's found on page 717 in the Worship Center Bible, if you're reading from that. Would you please hear the word of the Lord? And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Unrivaled, unequaled, sovereign Savior, we thank you for your word, which is our life. Uh, We turn to you and we incline our hearts and our ears to your sayings. Uh, And we thank you that you will send the Holy Spirit that we might find this truth inscribed on our hearts and in our minds and shaping the way we walk in this world. And we pray in your mighty name. Amen. If you're new with us today, we're in this series in Mark's gospel called Scandalous Savior. And last week, Pastor Charles brought us a word that showed Jesus going through the temple, cleansing it, cursing the fig tree, all of these things that are involved in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So we're days away from his crucifixion. And around those events come a group of leaders. They are the elite from the Jerusalem class that is responsible for the temple and for peace in the city. This is not just an average collection of religious leaders. This is the Sanhedrin. This is a collection of the key theologians, the most politically sophisticated those who hold the power in their hands. When the Romans are in Jerusalem, these people under them are determining what will happen. It is these people that are coming to Jesus in this passage. And they are scandalized. They came up to Jesus and said, By what authority are you doing these things? By what authority are you entering Jerusalem as a king, humble, riding on a donkey, letting people cry out, Hosanna, acknowledging you as the Messiah? By what authority are you going into the temple and turning over tables and cleansing things and pronouncing judgment? By what authority are you are you doing these things? And Jesus turns to them and he says, 
Well, I've got a question for you. Now, that is an interesting turn of events. When Jesus turns this question back on them, He is bringing them into a place of confrontation with reality. He's actually demonstrating something about who He is. More about that in just a minute. And what happens is their hearts, the hearts of these religious leaders, are just laid bare in front of everyone. Because what Jesus says is a question that exposes their hearts. They went thinking, I'm going to expose him. And they left with their own hearts laid open. Here's what Jesus asked. John the Baptist, from God? Not from God. What's going on with that? Well, you see, John the Baptist and Jesus were always tied together. When you open any one of the four Gospels, it always really starts off with the ministry of John the Baptist. And the ministry of John the Baptist just outside Jerusalem was pointing always to Jesus. If you accepted John the Baptist's ministry, then you had to accept Jesus' ministry because John the Baptist said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. This is the one who we've been waiting for. I'm not even worthy to untie a lace of his sandals. That's He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John's ministry called Israel into a place of preparation for the Messiah and then said, there he is. So do you believe in John? Did you believe John came from God? Now, of course, as soon as he did that, they huddled up because that was trouble. If they said, well, yeah, then that meant they had to acknowledge Jesus had authority. But if they said, no, then it says, look what it says in the text. They feared the people. Here's their leadership. Which way is the wind blowing? These guys were not interested in the truth. They were interested only in the political winds that were blowing. They were interested in preserving their positions. That's what they were after. So their hypocrisy is exposed. And they come back and say, well, if we say no, then all the people are going to be angry with us. We could lose our position. If we say yes, then we're acknowledging Jesus to be the Messiah, and we could lose our position. Either way we go here, we're going to lose our jobs. And they say, so we don't know. And Jesus says, I'm not going to answer your question either. Now, it's very interesting in the middle of this. Jesus twice says when he asks the question, answer me, answer me. They're asking, who gave you authority? And Jesus, rather than saying, well, you know, my authority is, is uh, that's a derivative authority. It's a delegated authority. He just looks them back in the eye and goes, answer me. Very in your face. Answer me. By what authority? What's going on here? Jesus has entered Jerusalem as king, as Messiah. That's the kind of stuff that got people killed. And within a few days, he will be hung by the Romans on a cross. Just as they hung all the other insurrectionists, all the other people who had claims on Jerusalem, they hung him up too. What's going on here? Why is Jesus' authority being questioned? The truth is, 
by what authority is a question that people are always asking. Jesus, why should you be in charge of my life? Why should you be the one who I call king? Now, see, I just want to speak very frankly to those of us who grew up, say, as Americans in the United States. You and I don't grow up with kings. We don't grow up with absolutist monarchs. In fact, we did our level best to get away from that kind of thing. We're Americans. If there's a rule, we know how to get around it. We know there are two speed limits a de jure speed limit, and a de facto speed limit. We know what it says, but we know at what point they'll actually stop us. But when you meet Jesus, you will drop from 60 to 40 like you spotted a state trooper on the side of the road. Why? What's going on with him? Why can't we skirt around him? You see, he's not the president of presidents. He's not the senator of senators. He's the king of kings. He's lord of lords. Why did they say, Hosanna, son of David? Do we receive him differently? We must not. Paul said, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live and walk in him. You will live and walk with Jesus in the way that you receive Jesus. And unfortunately, many people simply receive Jesus as a kind of glorified 911. This is where I turn in emergencies. This is where I turn when things are bad. Now, of course, when things are bad, when there are emergencies, we do turn to God. No question about that. He is our very present help in times of trouble. There's nothing wrong with turning to God in trouble. But don't ever imagine for a moment that this one to whom you turn in trouble is only a kind of cosmic insurance policy for when things go badly. No, Christ as Savior and Lord means that He enters your life with authority. And this authority is not a delegated authority. It's not an authority which you give to him. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you make make Jesus the Lord of your life. You never make Jesus the Lord of your life. You don't make Jesus anything. Jesus is Lord. You acknowledge him as the Lord of your life. But he is Lord whether you acknowledge it or not. And that's the problem here for these guys. Where'd you get this authority? How is it that Jesus has this authority? Well, let me give it to you briefly this morning. The authority of Jesus is rooted in his person, demonstrated by his power, and it transforms us by his presence. Here's the first thing. It's rooted in his person. You see, when these people come to Jesus, this ruling religious elite, and they appear before him and they go, we've got a question for you, Jesus says, oh yeah? I've got a question for you. Now, please, put on your thinking caps for just a moment. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, is this the first time you've seen someone in the Bible come up to God and say, I've got a question for you, and then God answered, oh yeah, I've got a question for you. No, it's not the first time. 
Who came up to God like that and heard that answer? That was Job. Job comes to God with his complaints and his questions. And God comes to Job and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I've got a question for you, Job. When Jesus hears the question and says, I'm not answering, I'm asking you questions, he was reflecting the reality of who he was. Who was he? Who is he? That's what the Gospels are always seeking to unpack for us. Who is this person? John put it this way. In the beginning, God created, God created the heavens and the earth. All things came into being by God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is this person? This is God. This is God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things. That's why Jesus is going, I've got questions for you. He's repeating the Job story. How did that story end? When God comes to Job and he asks his whole series of questions, which are all related to creation. Job comes to the end of it and he goes, I've heard about you, but now I, now I see you. And I retract, I repent. I come to you now with real faith. You see, I meet people all the time who say to me, when I get to heaven, I've got some questions I'm going to ask God. Okay, okay, well, let's talk. Can we talk? Okay, first of all, if you get to heaven, <laughs> and, you're <laughs> and, and you're standing there, and you're, you're beholding the majesty and the glory and the wonder of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their eternal, in their eternal mystery, you're not going to be standing there going, I've got some questions for you. <laughs> you're just going to say what Isaiah said. Whoa! What am I doing here? You're not going to have those questions. Who are you dealing with here in Jesus? You're dealing not with simply a religious figure from history or a mere good teacher. No, you're dealing with God showing up in the flesh. God comes to us this morning with questions. And Jesus says to us, answer me, answer me. And saying, I don't know, doesn't get us off the hook. Answer me, I'm your God. This is who I am. You see, I'm the one who fashioned you. I'm the one who created all things. Fresh back from wonderful week out in Montana. And of course, part of the wonder of that is, seeing this million-acre place called Glacier with its 700 mountains and 300 lakes and 300 rivers, and you're standing there under the big sky. And whenever you look at the stars at night there, you think back to Abraham and God saying, count the stars, or to David. David in Psalm 8, he said when he was laying out there in the Bethlehem field counting the stars, he made up this song, when I consider the heavens, the work of of your fingers. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take thought of him for you've made us a little lower than the angels. 
It's an amazing song that David sings. When I look at the heavens. You see, when you look up, you realize that our solar system relates around this sun, which is a very small star. And it's part of this Milky Way galaxy, which is made up of a hundred million stars. But that little galaxy is one of hundreds of millions of more galaxies. And listen to what David said. When I consider the hundreds of millions of galaxies, which are the work of your what? Fingers. Can I ask you a question? What do you work on with your fingers? Like a little model that you're putting together. Maybe decorating a dessert. Or maybe crafting something with a needle and thread. Maybe a delicate moment in a surgical procedure. This is something which you give attention to because it's small and precise. It's tiny. And David says, when I look at the immensity of the heavens, that's to you, God, the work of what? Your fingers. The immensity of creation is to God as tiny as it could be. And of course, then David said, if that is tiny, who are we? And what do we do with that? I've got some questions. No, Jesus says, I've got some questions for you. You see, Jesus is God come among us. That's who He is. So His authority is rooted in the fact that He's the Creator. Here's the second thing, though. It's rooted and demonstrated in His power. Jesus shows up as God teaching. They say, no one's ever taught like this man before. He teaches as one with authority. When you are a public speaker, you cite other authorities. You hide behind the robes of the learned. You quote from the philosophers or you illustrate from the writings of others. You quote other authorities so that people know what you're saying has authority. If I'm a good Reformed preacher, I quote from Calvin or Warfield or Luther or Augustine or something like that. And then you go, oh, thank God, Cassidy didn't just make it up. And so you go, I can accept what he's saying because he cited authorities. But Jesus' teaching is self-referential. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now that's utter egocentricity. It's madness. Unless it's true. Unless he's God. And then it's wisdom. No one ever spoke like this. This one teaches with authority. Then he drives out powers of darkness. Then he raises the dead. Then he cleanses lepers. Then he heals paralytics. So the miracles that accompany his teaching are works of power which show his authority. But supremely, Jesus' own authority is demonstrated. His power is seen in this. He says, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take it up again, he says in John's Gospel. That kind of authority. Now, listen. You may imagine this morning that you have authority to lay down your life. You have the capacity to take yourself out. Please don't. But you could imagine that you have the power, the authority, to end your life. Ernest Hemingway 
in his final act of defiance, shaking his fist at God, saying, I will not let you have the last word, oh, you who do not exist, put a shotgun to his head and blew his brains out. I will determine when I die, not you. But even if you think you have the authority to take your life out, no one in this room has the authority to do what? Raise it up. You could take yourself out, but you could never bring yourself back. But Jesus said, my authority, my authority is like this. I have authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to walk out of the grave three days later. And that's what he did. Death could not hold him. Of course it could not. How could death hold the Creator and the Redeemer in its grasp? But this is why Jesus' authority in our lives is utterly transformational. Jesus' authority is the kind of authority which can bring deep comfort and deep protection to the believer. Here's why. You can trust Him. This one who is the king of creation, the one who fashions the cosmos, this one who makes the galaxies with his fingertips, then, then turned around and wove you together in your mother's womb and wrote all your days in his book when as yet there were not one of them. This is why when you come to Jesus, you can come to him the way a wise Roman soldier did. This Roman soldier comes up to Jesus and he says, I've got a servant who's at home. He's sick. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And he goes, no, no, no. You don't need to come to my house. Listen to these words. Just say the word. Would you say it with me? Just say the word and I know it'll be done. Jesus said that man had great faith. That soldier said... I recognize that I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to this one, do it, and he does it. He saw that Jesus was under the authority of his Father and had absolute transcendent authority in all creation. And he knew that his word then carried that kind of authority. When you are a Christian, you do not come to Jesus with a, for advice that you set over against the advice of others, you come to Him and say, just say the Word. His teaching will transform you. Here's the other thing that will transform you. Another thing that will transform you. His forgiveness. He sees a paralytic and He says, your sins are forgiven. This upsets everybody. Only God can forgive sins, they say. Exactly. That was their excellent theological insight of the day. Go to the head of the class. Only God can forgive sins. That's right. Who is this? And Jesus says, so you know that I have authority to forgive sins. He says to the man, rise and walk. One of the most beautiful moments of every Lord's Day, though we can kind of pass by it without marking it too closely, without deeply appreciating the profundity of the moment, is when a pastor stands up here and after we've confessed our sins, says, I tell you, all of you, 
who truly repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. When you hear those words of absolution in the face of the confession of our degradation, there should be something inside of us that rises in joy and relief and says, oh, thank you, Lord, that you have the authority to wipe out the debt. And he does. How does he do it? Well, Jesus does this supremely by the fact that he changes us through his death on the cross for us and his resurrection from the dead. And this is why the final thing that transforms us about Jesus' authority is hope. It's hope. You see, Jesus did die on the cross in our place for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His authority, because of that death and resurrection, is comprehensive. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. You see, a lot of people want to say Jesus is in charge of the church. Jesus is in charge in heaven. But he's not in charge of me. He's not in charge of my home. He's not in charge of the society, but Christ is head over all things to the church, which is his body. There is nothing over which he does not reign supreme. All things exist from him and through him and will go back to him. And that includes us even in our death. You see, when it's all said and done and they sprinkle my ashes at Wrigley Field, One day, a voice of authority will ring out and will summon the dust from the depths of the sea and the mountains in Montana and the baseball fields and the football fields and the bones from the grave. And that voice of authority is so powerful that every particle of every person that's ever existed which is disintegrated into nothingness, will be regathered and reformed, and all will stand before the living God. And you will be raised from the dead. And if He left the grave behind Him, so will you. How? Listen to this. Jesus says, I was alive, and then I died, and now I am alive forevermore. This is in the book of Revelation. And I have the keys of death. Not the devil. The devil does not have the keys of death. Jesus said, I have them. Let me tell you something, Christian. Live fearlessly. Live fearlessly. You can't live a second shorter or a second longer than the moment determined by the one who holds the keys. Live fearlessly. Live unto Him. Live with hope. And know this, that all of those who've gone before us, all those who are asleep in Jesus, we're going to be caught up together with them. They're not lost. And you won't be either. Because Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth, in life and in death, He is God, your Creator. He is God, your Redeemer. 
He is Christ, your King. And to this Lion of the tribe of Judah, this Lamb who reigns, come and hail Him, Lord of all. Amen? Let's bow. Lord Jesus, conqueror of death and the grave, we bow before You. And we come to You now, Lord, and we confess our great need for Your scepter to be extended over our lives. Deliver us from turning You into only the One to whom we turn in trouble. Remind us that we are those who live from You and for You every day, in every endeavor, and to trust You always, O King of creation. We pray in your matchless name. Amen.